Welcome to Beyond the Boardroom with me, Kieran Paul. Today, we meet Mike Livin, creator of the Activist Investor blog. So welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you very much for having me. Delighted to be here. So just to get to know you here on Beyond the Boardroom, we always ask some quick-fire questions. So Mike, cats or dogs? Neither. Um, We are pet lovers, which is why we don't own any. (laughs) Very sensible. Uh, Absolutely. Bagels or muffins? Bagels. Been eating bagels for all of my 60 years. What book are you reading right now? Currently reading Happy Go Lucky by David Sedaris. Uh, It's a series of essays that he writes uh, in various places, some humorous, some touching. Um, he's, uh, He's just great. And do you prefer fiction or nonfiction? I tend to read a lot of nonfiction as a general rule. I can't remember the last time I read a novel. And Mike, what's the last film you watched? Um, I actually can't remember. We watch a lot of television and I haven't watched any movies that were so memorable that I could tell you what they were right now. I'm so sorry. No, that's fine. So what's your favorite TV show? Uh, All time. It's been Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David. Well, I normally now ask for your favourite sitcom, but you've just done that with Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, So we'll go to the more serious questions. So can you tell us all about the Activist Investor blog? Sure. Um, So, again, I've been an activist investor for quite some time, and I created a... um, an information resource. So there's a bit of a blog, there's a weekly newsletter, there's a website, theactivistinvestor.com. That's really just a resource for uh, intended originally for activists, but plenty of companies and issuers and also all their advisors uh, tend to rely on it as a resource for uh, developments in news and analysis and regulatory changes and so forth. And uh, alongside of that, more recently uh, this year, we created a similar resource, uh, universalproxycard.com, as a way for all these different players to get up to speed about this very interesting and important uh, regulatory change. Switching to the Universal Proxy Card, or UPC, what are the basic terms, Mike, of the new regulation, and what are the priorities for compliance? Sure, there's, there's three or four real priority items to remember. First, for compliance, uh, it it starts to apply pretty soon. So any kind of U.S. annual shareholder meetings that take place September 1st or later uh, will have to comply with this. So um, a a few uh, shareholder meetings that might take place toward the end of this year uh, have already started to think about it, but the bulk of them will uh, be, of course, for the first half of 2023. So the compliance date is important. Um, the goal of the new regulation is to make voting by proxy, you know, voting without being at the annual meeting, as similar as possible voting to voting uh, for directors at the meeting. And right now there's a, a couple of fundamental differences and and the, the regulation attempts to make it as similar as possible between the two kind of votes because nobody really attends annual meetings anymore or haven't for a long time. They'll vote by proxy. And if you vote by proxy, uh, there are a couple of, uh, of problems that this, uh, that this regulation seeks to change. Um, essentially, uh, it means that uh, companies and activists or uh, issuers and, and dissidents now have to present the same proxy card or shareholders view them as a ballot 
uh, two shareholders. Uh, same kind of formatting. There's some notices that are important so that uh, uh, everybody gets the same information. Uh, this essentially allows um, shareholders to uh, split votes between the company and activists. They can do that very easily if they're at the shareholder meeting. Uh, before now, they never could do that uh, without a significant expense and hassle if they were voting by proxy. So now uh, a shareholder can vote for some candidates from uh, the dissident as well as from the issuer or vote for more or fewer activist candidates compared to the company, where uh, before they could only really vote for one or the other. The other major regulatory change or uh, basic term has to do with how the activists solicit votes. Um, right now, under the uh, regulation, they need to solicit 67% of the shares. Um, this is not 67% of the shareholders, but they need to uh, make efforts to uh, obtain the votes of 67% of the outstanding shares. Um, that in some instances, just a few hundred shareholders, but um, th that's a hurdle that most activists should find it pretty easy to uh, to achieve. Um, but that's, uh, that's pretty much the new uh, material change that affects activists. Before this, uh, they really didn't have to do any kind of minimum solicitation. So those are really the changes to uh, make uh, voting in person the same as voting by proxy by uh, allowing activists and companies to have essentially the same uh, proxy card or same ballot. How should activist investors be thinking about UPC then as a way to improve their projects and proxy contests? Um, we, we think of it in sort of two, along two dimensions, that there's sort of two basic changes with several um, uh, other impacts, which we can talk about a bit in a minute. But let me talk about those two basic changes. The first is there's a perception uh, that's there's some grounded in some reality that proxy contests will cost less to pursue. Um, because of some of the regulatory change, because of um, how companies now will be able to handle uh, some of the proxy processing if an activist allows them to, uh, there's a perception that uh, proxy contests will start to cost less. In fact, the SEC in its own uh, economic analysis seems to suggest that an activist should be able to uh, pursue a proxy contest for as little as something like $5,300. Uh, that's an absurdly low amount of money. Uh, activists will certainly spend more, but nonetheless, there is this perception that proxy contests uh, should cost uh, less than they had in the past. The second uh, significant impact has to do essentially with the strategy. The idea that shareholders can mix and match, can uh, select only a few uh, nominees from a dissident slate um, seems to represent a fairly significant change. The way we describe this is that up until now, uh, proxy contests have essentially been binary, that the shareholders would choose from either the company case, the company uh, candidates, or from the activist slate and the, uh, the activist thesis. 
Uh, you just choose one or the other. Vote, vote on the blue blue card or vote on the uh, the white card or whatever. Well, uh, universal proxy card changes this in a, an important way. It changes binary contests into ones that are continuous. Uh, essentially, shareholders can now vote for as many or as few dissident candidates as they want. We've modeled this out. There's essentially a continuous distribution that's possible here. Another way to think about this is that if um, if an activist can expect to get some percentage of the votes from uh, shareholders, they can expect under certain circumstances to achieve approximately that percentage of the available seats that are up for election. So just use an example. If an activist canvasses uh, their the shareholders, consults with the proxy solicitor, and figures out that maybe they can get, for example, 40% of the available shares, under a universal proxy card uh, system, they can expect, or they should be able to expect, to get 40% of the seats. Now that's a, um, or you use whatever percentage you want, uh, 10% of the votes, you could expect to get, you know, 10% of the seats. So that change from binary to continuous seems to uh, suggest that there will be a dramatic change in the strategy in how these proxy contests uh, uh, will work. And of course, then what are the wider likely impacts of UPC on investors and crucially companies? Yes, that's a that's a great question. So from those two fundamental changes, uh, perception of lower cost and a change in the strategy from uh, binary to continuous uh, voting, we can think of four or five uh, impacts. First, uh, we're starting to see already that there will likely be more proxy contests than before. In the U.S., there's there's usually only a handful uh, under maybe 30 contests that actually go to a vote in a given year. That's actually a smaller number than, than people might have thought. But we're, we're thinking that there's going to be uh, more because there's this perception that they cost less, that they're easier to, to uh, prosecute now. Especially, uh, we're starting to hear that there will be more contests, say, from ESG proponents, uh, from um, uh, investors that had been content to uh, uh, submit a non-binding proposal uh, for a few years are now saying to themselves, maybe we should uh, uh, nominate a candidate to the board and sort of see how far that gets us. Uh, There's also some newer activist investors, smaller funds and so forth, even individuals that are attracted by this. So we're we're starting to see that there will likely be more contests pursued uh, under a universal proxy. We're thinking that there may be also more successful contests or at least more uh, early settlements because of this change in strategy. Um, A a shrewd activist investor will um, uh, take advantage of the idea that they can uh, uh, possibly elect more directors than before and not remain content with nominating one or maybe just two uh, candidates. So depending on their expected level of support from shareholders, they may start uh, nominating more candidates, and as a result, um, may be in a better position to uh, to get settlements uh, from companies. Uh, a third interesting impact is we're expecting to see potentially more proxy contests with multiple activists. Now, this is going to be very interesting and, and possibly kind of tricky uh, between the communication, between some of the notice provisions that are 
uh, in the new regulation and so forth. Uh, but if there's going to be more contests at some high-profile companies, there's a good chance that one or another uh, individual, say ESG proponent or smaller activist or even a larger fund, might all decide to target an underperforming company at the same time. So uh, up until now, multiple activist situations at a company are very rare, uh, you know, not even one a year. Uh, but but we're expecting that there may be a few, at least a few more under universal proxy. Um, a fourth implication would be potentially uh, more uh, personal contests or to see the actual um, contests become uh, much more about individual candidates as much as they are about the company's thesis compared to the activist thesis. Because uh, shareholders are going to be asked to compare uh, individual candidates. Um, an, an activist might nominate a few and then start to point out how their individual candidates compared to some of the candidates, the incumbents on the board that they'd like to target. And so we're expecting to see some of these contests become significantly more personal as uh, activists and companies start to try to make a case about their individual uh, individual slates. And finally, uh, the, the most significant implication for companies is going to be around board refreshment. Uh, board refreshment is going to be much more important than ever. Uh, taking a long-term serious look at every incumbent on the board uh, understanding how they contribute, what their credentials are, whether their credentials are current for the uh, the needs of the company, and so on and so forth. That that it's it's not going to be just about say board diversity, but importantly credentials that compare well to what a candidate, uh, what a uh, an activist might want to propose, uh, becomes much more important. So so for companies taking board free refresh even more seriously than ever. Uh, will allow them to get ahead of universal proxy and, and potentially anticipate some of what uh, what dissident uh, shareholders might be uh, might be wanting to do uh, with universal proxy card. So those are those are some of the the, the likely impacts. Um, you know, m- most for activist investors, but at least a couple that are going to be important for uh, for companies and for boards to uh, keep in mind as this September date starts to uh, starts to approach. Now, I love asking this question. Do you have a favorite ever campaign you've been involved in? <laughs> of course. Um, I've been involved in many uh, as an activist investor and then also as an advisor. And I think my favorite was the first one that I ever achieved a board seat on. So that would be over 10 years ago at a small consumer electronics company in California that's no longer around called Comarco. We uh, we spent a year trying to research the board of directors and figure out how to uh uh, how to try to improve the company and turn it around. And um, I was a board chair for about 18 months after we uh, we achieved this and were able to uh, to keep the company going for a lot longer than uh, than anybody thought was possible. That that was one of my uh, more more memorable ones. So yeah, that that'd be that one. That's brilliant. And then somewhat the opposite of that. Which lessons have you learned from those that perhaps didn't go so well? Uh, um, I, I think the the places where the proxy contests that I've worked on that we wish had turned out better or ones I've seen that wish they turned out better all depended critically on early substantive conversations and communications with other shareholders. Um, the, the instinct for many 
uh, activists or many aggrieved shareholders with an underperforming company is to write an angry letter and start to interact with the board and start to complain to the executives and so forth. And a, a, a priority should be to uh, try to see what other shareholders think. Do other shareholders support your thesis? Do other shareholders, um, will other shareholders uh, support change at the company? What do they think of the company? Uh, so, so interacting early and often with, with the other shareholders that whose support you will really need uh, was something that we, we wish we had done better in some cases. And in other cases, when we did well, uh, really uh, mattered in terms of uh, ultimate success at uh, uh, changing the corporate governance, changing the board, and then getting success at the company, because the whole point is to, to turn around an underperforming portfolio company. Now, Mike, this may link to your previous answer about a favorite campaign, but I'd love to know if you have a particular proudest moment. <laughs> um, I have many moments of which I'm very proud. All of my proudest moments really don't have much to do with activist investing, maybe launching three adult children. Uh, I like to say they all have uh, really good jobs with health insurance. <laughs> so um, so I think that's what I'm most proud of. But there have been other uh, activist candidate uh, situations where we've been able to really help uh, shareholders understand what's possible at a company. Sometimes we're really proud of the fact that we uh, persuade somebody to not pursue something that uh, really isn't, isn't going to succeed. So there's there's many of them, but I'm as proud of some of the stuff I've been able to achieve outside of the activist uh, world as I am inside. I won't ask you for a favorite child like with the sitcom earlier. <laughs> right. I, um, I, I like to say, um, uh, when you ask, uh, you used to ask my in-laws what uh, who their favorite child was, and they'd say, we hate them all the same. <laughs> Very, very good. (laughs) And has there been a a most challenging moment? Oh, I don't know. This interview was was pretty challenging. I'd like to say that. (laughs) So, um, so uh, you know, getting ready for it and thinking through how to uh, crystallize a a very complicated and subtle regulation, and looking not just at the basic compliance uh, implications, but also some of the more nuanced uh, strategic implications from both sides, from what. uh, what affects activist investors and also also companies. Um, so yeah, for today, I'd like to say uh, what, what's been most challenging is trying to think through uh, think through this interview today. So, uh, but I'm happy I'm happy to uh, to have gotten through it at this point. Well, thank you for joining me, Mike. It's been entertaining and incredibly insightful. Thank you so much. If listeners really want to learn more, uh, we've done uh, a careful job of trying to put some resources together for at universalproxycard.com. It's a free resource for anybody who uh, wants to look at it, from companies to uh, uh, activists to, to their advisors, and we would encourage them to, uh, to consult it. Sadly, that's it for today's episode. Our next one will include a countdown of the top 10 wildest campaigns of 2022. So look out for that appearing in your feed this month. Plus, don't forget, of course, to download your free copy of our half-year review. And there is a handy link in the show description for you. I'm Kieran Paul. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you next time.